Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Once again, I want to say happy Father's Day to all of the men in the room. If you are a father, I want you to stand right now. If you're a father, I want you to stand. Yes. Yes, so good, so good of you men to be here today with your families and, and uh, ready to receive God's Word. I have figured out that being a good father uh, can sometimes be tough to navigate. You know, when do you let your kids, you know, when do you give them a little freedom? When do you pull the reins back? You know, it's tough, it's tough to to navigate through this sometimes. And it's tough to de- determine when kids can talk and when they can't talk. I mean, you want kids to feel some freedom. You want them to grow and mature. But, but then sometimes you got to tell them, you know, now's not the time, you know. And it reminds me of this one dad and his son. They were sitting at the table eating dinner with the family. And the, the young boy asked his, his father, he said, Dad, are bugs good to eat? And the dad quickly looked around the table and, 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 said, and said, Son, we shouldn't speak of such things like that at the dinner table. So the little boy just hushed up and didn't say anything else. And they continued on with their dinner and, and the normal conversation that would take place around the dinner table. And, and, and after everyone had finished eating, the father, wanting to be a good father, returned back to his son's question. And he said, now, son, what was that that you were asking me? And the young boy replied, he said, oh, nothing, dad. There was a bug in your soup, but it's gone now. It's tough being a father. It's not easy. Uh, Being a father is by far one of the hardest things that I've ever tried to accomplish in my life. And I have not, I don't think in my mind, I don't think I have accomplished it. I think there's been some times along the way where I've got some things right, definitely got some things wrong. And I will be the first to admit that I don't always get it right. I don't always get it right. I might not be the first to admit it, but I'll be the fourth or fifth to admit it. I promise you, I don't always get it right. And today, I want us, as men, I want us to become what God has called us to be. I have a real burden and desire this morning for us men. I want us to become everything that God wants us to be because I want our homes to become what he wants them to be and ultimately our church to become what he wants it to be. And that starts with us as men. I really believe that. I think the burden is on us this morning, men, that this has to start with us. And so if you will, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 128. Psalm 128. I am going to be reading the entire chapter which is only six verses. It's one of the shorter psalms in the Bible. Psalm 128, verses 1 through 6. And I believe that this speaks of every good man. Every good man. Psalm 128, starting at verse 1. It says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Now, I want you to understand that this first verse here is is speaking to men. I know this because of verse 3, and we'll get there in just a moment. But this verse is written, this psalm is written to speak to, to us as men. It's wrote to speak to us. So listen to it. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. 
Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. I want to bring your attention to our focus verses today. The first one would be verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Then the first part of verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. And then the second part of verse 3, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. This morning, I want to give you three things that are near every good man. Three things that are near every good man. I believe that before every good man is a great God. That before us, in front of us, before us, before every good man, there is a great God. If a man is walking in the ways of God, that means that God is before him, in front of him. One of the advantages that Adam had in the garden was that he got to walk with God in the cool of the day. And this had to be so neat. I, I've often tried to imagine this in my own mind uh, of, of what, what this must have been like. But do you realize that everywhere that Adam went was new territory? He was a new creation. Even though he was a grown man, everywhere that he went, it was new territory for him to explore. And so there had to be moments of uncertainty. There had to be moments where, where he was unsure of what he was getting into. But yet when you are walking with God in the cool of the day, you can face uncertainty as long as you are walking with God. When you're walking with God and you're following his lead, you don't have to worry about every step that you take. The third verse of the 23rd Psalm mentions that he, God, leads us in paths of righteousness, is what it says. The Wearsby Bible Commentary calls them well-worn paths or ruts of righteousness. Well-worn paths, well-worn ruts. That means it, it, it's, it's been trampled on a, a, a lot. It's been walked. This road has been down many, many times. And church, I'm convinced that we need some men that are walking some well-worn paths following after God. And this is what I, I don't see all so often. I don't see men that are willing to walk those well-worn paths following after God. Early African converts to Christianity were very earnest and disciplined in their private devotions. It was said that each one of these, these early converts, that they had their their own path that they would walk out into the thicket where they would spend some alone time with God. That each one of these tribesmen would, would, would walk his own path and, and that was his path. Nobody else would walk it. And so each, each tribesman would have his own path and when he would get to the end, he would kneel down and there he would spend time in prayer connecting with his God. What a neat concept that, that men get along with God, that we actually lay down all of the, the burdens and all of the cares of the world, and we actually spend some time with God. And, and over time, what would happen with these paths if they, as they continued to walk them, that the grass became well-worn. 
And, and, and so as a result, if one of the believers began to neglect prayer and, and he wasn't making that a priority in his life, it would become very apparent to everybody else in the room. Man, there's part of our problem right there is we don't like to be accountable to anybody else and we need to be accountable to everybody else. Matter of fact, the, the end of this, this uh, psalm here, it says that, that uh, verse 5 says, The Lord bless you from Zion. Zion was the name of a mountain. Zion was also a name that was referred to as the temple of God. Blessed from Zion. Let me tell you something, men. Sometimes we are blessed from the accountability that we find within the four walls of a church. We need this in our lives. And so these tribesmen, they would, if they neglected going out to pray, soon the grass would begin to come back and they would have to hold each other accountable and they would kindly remind each other or kindly remind the neg negligent one, brother, the grass grows on your path. That was their term. Brother, the grass grows on your path. In other words, you're not praying enough. You need to go make sure that you are trampling down the grass, spending some time with God in prayer. Men, if you are following after God, don't let the grass grow on your path. Travel that road often. Get there. Make sure that you are finding your time with God. Make sure that you are, are, are following the well-worn paths of righteousness. And sometimes that requires us making the difficult decisions for our homes, but yet God has, re has required that out of us because those are the well-worn paths of righteousness. So let me ask you something, men. What or who... Are you following? What or who are you following? Because there are some well-worn paths that many men have walked before you that do not lead to righteousness. There's a big difference between a well-worn path and a well-worn path of righteousness. And I can assure you that there are many, many men before you that have walked paths that do not lead to righteousness. Listen to me. Just because your grandfather liked to knock a few back, a few cold ones back every now and then, it doesn't mean that you should do that. Just because your parents considered divorce an option, it doesn't mean that you should consider divorce an option. And just because your father was a workaholic does not mean that you need to be a workaholic. These are well-worn paths. These are more like ruts. And if we're not careful, we will get stuck in those ruts. And it's time that men rise up and break some of these generational curses that are being passed down from generation to generation. We have got to learn to follow the well-worn paths of righteousness. Psalm 37 and verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. It, it didn't say suggested. It didn't say smiled upon. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That means, men, we don't have a choice in this. We have, we have to, we must, must walk the well-worn paths of righteousness. God is calling you to walk where he leads you down these well-worn paths of righteousness. Now, the old saying goes that behind every good man is a, behind every good man is a good woman. Now, now, let's see, during the first service, I actually got an amen there. But, but I think, and it was a woman that did it, but I, I think that the more appropriate statement would be, beside every good man is a great woman. M women, are you awake today? Are you here? I'm not leaving you out. In just a few moments, I'm going to preach to you, okay? So you better wake up. Beside every good man is a great woman. Amen? 
On Mother's Day, I preached a very blunt and, and honest message that not only preached to the women, but at times it preached to the men. And, and I feel like I need to do the same for the women today. So, so um, I, I want to quote something from my Mother's Day sermon if I can. L listen close. This is what I said. When God created woman, he did not create her from Adam's head to rule and reign over the man. He did not create her from Adam's feet to be trampled upon. She was created from his side to be a helpmate, not a doormat. She was created to walk alongside man. Now, I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm saying today. I, I, I need you to listen very close to me because I wholeheartedly believe that the man is called to be the spiritual head of household for his home. I do. With my whole heart, I believe that the man is called to be the spiritual head of household for his home. Listen to Ephesians 5, verse 22. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Not to somebody else's husband. To your own husband. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now I know this becomes a very uncomfortable topic. I, I, I know it does. Some of you in the room, you're like, oh, here we go again. You know, it's, a, it's another class on submission. You know, another sermon to teach me to submit. And, and, and I, don't, I don't want you to, to disconnect yet, okay? Because I, we've got some territory to cover. And I want to make sure that you understand where we're going with this. The Greek word that Paul used for head, for the word head in this verse, is kephale. Kephale is the word that he used. And it means the physical head, like the actual head of a human being or an animal. Let me ask you something. Have you ever seen a chicken with its head cut off? Anybody in the room? You've actually seen it? It's not just like, you know, you've, you've you know, saw a cute little meme on, on Twitter or something. You've actually seen a chicken run around with its head cut off. Have you ever seen it? Yeah? All right. That hands went down. It's much lower after I said that. I've seen this before. When I was just a kid, my grandfather up in Thomaston, Georgia, I watched him take a chicken and he, he stretched the, the, let me look around the room. You know what? If your kid is old enough to understand this, they should be in children's church anyway. So it's your fault if they, if they are scarred for life, it's your fault. So anyway, they, 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 was that too hard? It's Father's Day. It's my day. I'm allowed to say stuff like that. Uh, and, and so I watched my grandfather pull the chicken's neck across, and, and it was like a stump on the ground. And he took an axe or a machete or something, and he just cut the head of this chicken off. And when he did, the body of this chicken went running around the yard. All the nerves and everything inside, it was still active. It was still running, but it had no direction. It, 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 it had no uh, a sense of where it was going at all. And, and a family with Without a spiritual head of household, it has no direction. And so men, if your kids are running wild, here's my question to you. Who's the head? Who is the headship of your household? If your kids are running wild, then the finger has to point back at you. When we hear the Bible speak of the husband being the head, 
we immediately think of authority. And though I believe there is some spiritual authority in there, but, but, but it's not just about authority. We all know that, that a physical head does much more than just make final decisions. And, and that's what we think sometimes. When we think of spiritual head of household, we're like, well, you know, it, it, it's just about the dad making the final decision. That's probably the last thing that it is. It's not just about making the final decision. We all know that the, the physical head is the central location for four out of the five bodily senses. The head, it is critical to the overall functioning of what is under its influence. The head has the brain in it. And see, I just lost all the women in the room with that because you're like, my husband has no brain. How could he possibly be the head of household? I get it. I understand it. I, I are one. And so I know what you're talking about. That was intentional for all of you English scholars out there. Thank you. Somebody will send me an email trying to correct my English. Okay. Uh, headship Headship, it's not about authority or essence. It's about function. It's about doing what you were designed to do in a body, the body of Christ, the body of your home. A body simply performs better with a head because it doesn't perform without one. In 1 Corinthians 11 and 3, it really puts this in perspective for us. Listen to this. But I want you to understand, listen to what Paul writes. He said, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. It really shows us what it means to understand headship because Jesus had a good understanding of headship. We know that through theology, it clearly teaches us that Jesus is equal to God the Father. Headship does not determine or reflect a lack of equality. That's what we think. Listen, when you and your husband, when you were married, you became one. I believe that. And so it's, it doesn't refer or reflect a lack of, of equality. Jesus stated in John chapter 10 and verse 30, he said, I and the Father are one. He said, I and the Father are one. We are equals is what he said. But in John 6 and 38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the, one, but, but the will of the one who sent me, of him who sent me. Jesus said, we're equals, but yet I still submit to his headship. Jesus had an understanding and taught us what it means to be equal with someone yet submit to their headship because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was not only one with God, but he was also willing to submit to his headship. Headship does not deny oneness. Headship simply defines function. You see, it was, it was the Father's will that Jesus go to Calvary and die for our sins that was his function. That's what he had to do. And when we all start learning our functions in the home, suddenly the body of our home will, will be more productive. We'll see more things happening, not only just for us, but for the kingdom of God. And Jesus had an understanding of this because Jesus knew what it was like. He went to the, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and it was there that he knelt down to pray. 
And he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It was in that moment that he was submitting to the headship of the Father, even though they were equal, because it was his purpose, his function. And here's, here's what I know. When the headship is not right, the home doesn't function right. And I see this way too often, church. Listen to me. I see where we've got this wrong, we've got this backwards so many times. Psalm 128 and 3 from our text today, verse 3 says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. A fruitful vine has a vine dresser, also known as a husbandman. It's not by coincidence that we're called husbands because we're called to care for the vine, a fruitful vine. It's up to us, men. You see, the vine dresser, our husbandman, when, when he would walk along the trellis and he would see where the vine was growing down into the dirt, it was his job, his responsibility to lift it up out of the dirt, to take a cloth and some water and to wash off every leaf and then reroute it through the trellis. If there was a, a thick growth there and, and, and some of the, the inside leaves and vines were not getting sunlight because of a, a thick growth of, of other vines that were keeping the sun from shining in, he, it was his job to prune that so that some of the, the, the inside vines, the inner vines would, would begin to, to produce fruit. And men, that is our responsibility for our homes, for our wives. We are called to be the husbandman, the vine dresser, and we are called to wash, to prune, and to care for the vine, to make it more fruitful. And listen, men, if the headship is operating properly in the home, each season will be more productive and fruitful for your wife. And so if you don't see your wife being more productive and more fruitful, then, then you've got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, what am I doing wrong? It is up to me to make sure that she is producing fruit. And so I want to talk to, to both the women and the men in the room today because I did that on Mother's Day and I promised that I was going to do it today. So I will. I will. We're going to do this. You ready? I've tried to get out of this. I have. I have tried so, so much to get out of this. But we're going to do it. Women, if you are wondering why your home is in such disarray, ask yourself, who is the head of your household? Because if you got this wrong, it messes up the divine order. Now, I know that I'm not talking to any of you godly women here at DCC in the room today. I know that you've all got this figured out, and you, you're just so holy and godly, and, and there's no problems there, I know. But, but would you believe that there are some women who have taken the spiritual reins away from their husbands? Again, I know I'm not talking to any women in this room, but let me tell you how they do it. Can we do that? They make every financial decision without him. They've learned to discipline their children by themselves, and they don't include him because maybe he's always working. They allow their father or their mother to have more influence over the home than they do their own husband. 
this is in the very beginning of the Bible, the first relationship. He was called, Adam was called away to cleave unto his wife. Scripture tells us, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. We call it leave and cleave. Listen, women, if, if the man is called to leave and cleave, you're called to leave and cleave also. At the moment you said, I do, your parents became extended family to you. I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm, I'm not. Again, it's Father's Day. It's my day. I'm allowed to say what I want to say, right? You cannot value the opinion of other people living outside of your home, whether it's mom, dad, brother, sister, whoever it is, more than you value your husband's opinion. You've got to give him back the authority and make his opinion count. Maybe you've heard the statement, if a man is the head of the family, then the woman is the neck that turns the head. Maybe, maybe you've heard that, but, but women, don't settle for that. That's beneath what he's called you to be. Don't be the neck, because you are made for so much more. Remember, it's about function. It's not about lordship. It's not about a dictatorship. It's about function. Proverbs 12 and 4 says, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. Now, if he's the head of the household, how many women in the room want to be above the head of the household, want to be the crown? Amen? I mean, that, that seems like a pretty good position to be in, but, but there's a function for that. Understand, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Some translations of the Bible say it's like cancer in his bones. Women, don't become the cancer in your home. Get this divine order figured out. Understand that we have functions in our lives that he's called us to. And here's what I know about being the spiritual leader, and this comes from, from following Christ and his example. But being the spiritual leader, it's not always pretty. It, 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 it can be quite messy at times, and, and it requires sacrifice. Christ sacrificed himself. It requires blood, sweat, tears, for us to be godly men of our homes, we have to make decisions sometimes that will not make us popular. It will not make us look very pretty to everybody else in our household. But we've got to be willing to make some of these hard decisions. And women, you are called to come alongside of him and make him look good. You are the crown that sits upon the head. Which brings me to the men. Men, you should want to be the head of your household. And it's not so much that all the women are, are, are taking the reins away from all the men. Sometimes they don't have a choice. Because men just simply don't want to stand up and be the spiritual head of households anymore. Some of you, you've become content and comfortable letting your wives lead the home. Man up! And what a wonderful name for a, a men's Bible study that meets once a month at the blend, right? Right? Man up! 
Man, it is time for us to man up because that's the problem, isn't it? You want to be respected as the head, but, but, but every head needs knowledge. And if you are too busy and too good to show up for a Bible study, then what are you saying to your family? And I'm not saying that's the only Bible study that you can show up for, but men, you have got to be investing into the knowledge of being the headship of your home. When I was 19 years old, I was working for a company called Worldwide Resources in Lake City. And at 19 years old, the, the owner of the company asked me to be a branch manager. I was the youngest manager in the history of the company at 19 years old. And man, life was about to change for me because I just wasn't going to be answering to a, a manager anymore. Now I was answering to the owner of the company and there would be other employees answering to me. People that were twice as old as me. Some, one gentleman was three times older than me. And now I was going to be his boss. And so you know what the ownership of the company did? They didn't even give me a choice. They sent me to a seminar to learn how to manage people. For an entire weekend, I had to sit there and listen. It was, it was a, I still have the certificate somewhere in my office. It was a Fred Pryor seminar for learning to manage people. And I sit there for the whole weekend learning how to manage people. Why? Because it was an investment into me. I needed that knowledge. And men, if we are going to be the head of the household, if we are going to, 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 to lead this thing, then we need to have the knowledge of what it means to be righteous, what it means to, to walk a well-worn path of righteousness. We need to know that. And men, we've got to start investing into ourselves. If you want to take your role seriously, invest in your spiritual growth. The problem with some of you is that your wife is growing spiritually faster than you are. And I'm telling you, it's messing things up. And I'm not going to ask her to slow down. That's not what I'm going to do. She's hungry. She wants to grow. It's time for us as men to get hungry for God's word. It's time for us as men to get passionate about what God is wanting to do in our lives. But for some of us, we're leaving no choice but for her to take over the headship of the home. Please understand me. A man does not have absolute authority over a woman. He has headship only as long as it is consistent with the word of God. That's what he's called us to. And if you want to be the head of your household, then act like a man of God. And so, every good man, he's got a great God before him. He's got a good wife beside him. And behind every good man is a great generation. And I can prove this. The second half of verse 3 of our text says, Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. And this is such a strange, strange scenario when you think about it. Olive shoots? Like there's, there's little olive plants sitting around the table? Is, is this what this is? Just a, it's just a strange analogy. When you have a man that has God before him, a wife, uh, a good wife beside him, then your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Let me explain this. In the Jewish culture, the family table was not just used for eating. It was used for eating, but it wasn't just used 
for eating. It was a place of education. It was a place where a man would spend significant time teaching, listening, leading, getting to know, and guiding his family. There was significant time spent sitting around that table. It was there at the table that he would coach his wife and his kids to walk in the paths of righteousness. Now, I'm in danger of, of sharing this today because my wife always wants to sit at the dinner table. She's almost given up because I'm the guy that's like, why do I want to sit at the dinner table? I can't see the TV. Yeah. Just because we don't sit at the dinner table does not mean we're not having these conversations. My wife and kids will tell you that these conversations have been a must for our home. Because fruitful vines, wives, fruitful vines and olive shoots, they need consistent nurturing to grow and produce. And it's my job as the husbandman, as the vine dresser, it's my job to provide that nurturing for them to grow and produce. I'm not saying that it has to be at your dining room table. But your wife and your kids, they need you speaking with them on a regular basis about God and about life and how those two roads intersect. They need to hear you talking about it, men. Some of us in the room, we need to clear up our schedules. That's one of the biggest reasons we don't have these conversations because we don't have time. We have not created time to have these conversations. The, the husband, the father, his schedule is full. The wife, the mother, her schedule is full. And, and children's schedules are full. This is one of the most ludicrous things I've, I've ever heard of in my life. But every year, it seems like our children's schedules are becoming more and more packed with more stuff than what they can even handle. And, and women, some of this, this is on you. I, I told you, I, I preach to the men on, on Mother's Day. I've got to preach to the women too. It's only fair, right? So, so women, you've got to take some responsibility for this. Stop putting your kids in year-round sports and year-round extracurricular activities. One amen in the room. Thank you. Stop. I've been preaching this for years. We were a very active family. There are times and seasons where, where we went to more soccer games than what I care to even think about. I don't even like soccer. But I went. And it was for a season. And then the season would end and we would have a break. My son will tell you, in high school, he went from cross country straight into basketball season. They actually overlapped and he would begin talking about track and field. And I was always the one looking at him going, son, you need to reconsider that because you're, you're going to be burnt out. We don't, I'm not sure. And as a family, because we went everywhere our son played. His sister, she has been to more sporting events and she is not athletic at all. Thank God she can sing and play the guitar because she, she is not athletic. But she's been to a lot of sporting events. But there are seasons for this stuff. And when you go year round, you are damaging your kids. They're not created for this. And mom, dad, you need to realize you need some time at home where it's just you and the kids, you and your husband and, and the kids. You need this. And so stop planning their whole lives out. Let them be kids so that you can have these conversations. 
Put them in a season. Let the season in. And I promise you, it'll come back around next year. And if you're just tired, listen, moms, if you're tired and you need a break, because I understand that too. Sometimes we just need a break from our kids. Amen? Anybody need a break from your kids today? Amen? Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to admit that. Quit paying the rec department year-round or the travel ball coach year-round and call one of these respectable teenage girls in our church that likes to babysit, pay them just so you can go out and have a good time, and I promise you, your kids will be fine when you get home. I'm going to save your household some money, too, if you'll listen to me. Amen? I don't know. I don't know. Y'all might, <clears throat> might not be with me today, so I'm just, I'm just up here preaching, having a good time right by myself. Get your family back on schedule where you can glean from one another because it's sitting around that table that the olive shoots begin to grow. Because your kids, they're not olive trees yet. It, it, an olive tree typically takes about 15 or more years to fully develop. 15 or more years. That means somebody has to nurture and take care of this olive shoot for 15 plus years before it will start bearing fruit. The interesting thing about an olive plant is that if it is nurtured correctly, it will become an olive tree that can produce olives for over 2,000 years. Do you realize in the Garden of Gethsemane, there are still olive trees there that were there when Jesus prayed in the garden the night before he was crucified? Still to this day, there are olive trees there that they were there when Christ was there. For over 2,000 years, they will produce fruit. Men, we must be modeling our lives as olive trees with deep roots so that our children will bear fruit for years and years to come. Now listen to me, I'm going to say something that, that is going to shock some of you, but if you've ever played basketball with me and watched me talk trash, it will, really will not shock you that much. But, but I know I'm a good dad. I know I'm a good dad. And I'll tell you how I know I'm a good dad. Because I had a good father. I have a great father, a father that has, has, has displayed what it's like to walk the, the well-worn paths of righteousness. I have a good father and I have great kids. And you see how this starts happening. It's generation to generation to generation. That's called a legacy. And my legacy will not die. And my father's legacy will not die. Because I have intentionally rooted myself with God before me, a, a good wife beside me, and now Kendall and Caleb, 18-year-old graduates, they will bear fruit that will last much longer than my fruit will. That's my legacy. And stop buying into this, that in a world that, that, that it seems like every generation gets worse than the one before it. Stop buying into that. Stop listening to those lies. I know when you look at society, it appears that way. But we have the ability as parents to produce a better generation than we were. And I can tell you right now, Mandy and I, we pride ourselves that our kids have not made some of the same mistakes that we have made along the way. They are better. They're a better generation than we are. And here's what I'm holding out for. And I, 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 I believe this with my whole heart. Their fruit will be greater than my fruit. 
They will accomplish more things for the kingdom of God than what I have accomplished for the kingdom of God. And you know what? My dad told me years ago, you will accomplish more for the kingdom of God than what I did for the kingdom of God. And that's what can happen from generation to generation to generation when we learn to sit around a table with our olive shoots and we learn to nurture them and feed into them and to help them grow into the men and women that God's called them to be. My father taught me many things about life. I remember sitting in the backyard in Perry, Florida when my dad bought me my first Daisy BB gun. I didn't get the pellet gun until I was responsible with the BB gun. My pellet gun was nice. I could pump it up for more power. My Daisy BB gun that he started me out on, it was one click. That was it. What's funny is that a few years ago at Christmas, my dad wanted a BB gun. I bought him one because he was having some problems with some squirrels out in his garden. So he'd sit on his back porch and shoot at the squirrels. Write your letter to PETA. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> he taught me how to remove the governor off my go-kart so it would go faster. Not just that one, but every piece of junk go-kart he ever bought me that we would fix up along the way. He taught me how to drive. At 15 years old, my dad let me drive through Houston, Texas. My mom was sitting in the back seat about to have a cow. She was so nervous, and dad's just sitting over in the passenger seat just loving it, man. Just letting me drive through Houston, Texas at 15 years old. My dad taught me how to fish for fish and for men. He taught me the value of winning a soul to Christ. I watched my dad as he would lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and it gave me that hunger and that desire to do the same thing. The greatest thing my dad taught me was how to walk the well-worn paths of righteousness. And even in his old age, with Alzheimer's controlling his mind, he's still showing me how to walk those well-worn paths of righteousness. I need to give you a warning, though. With every surgery that my dad has had, it seems very grim, very bad when he comes out because they tell us every time that the anesthesia to put him under makes the Alzheimer's that much worse. So whether it's a pacemaker, a hernia, or a broken hip, whatever surgery, every time he comes out, we watch him just take this, this drastic decline. It was really bad this last time after his hip surgery. Just a few months ago, we had to put Dad in a nursing home, full-time care, 
major adjustment for my family. It's tough today. It's tough. When we started going to visit him in the nursing home after his surgery, it was like dad had no desire. Mentally, he didn't know what they were telling him to do. How could he respond to physical therapy and get better if he doesn't even understand what they're really telling him to do? He didn't have a desire to eat much. And we were watching him just waste away. But then something happened. And it always happens with him. And I don't know why it catches me off guard. I don't know why it shocks me, but it always happens. He turns the corner and he starts improving. And I'll tell you why this is a warning to you is because my dad has always said for as long as I can remember, he has always said that he's not going to die, that he is going to go in the rapture of the church, that when Jesus comes back to call the saints Christians, when he comes back to call us home, my dad declares up and down and has for years that that's when he will leave this earth, that he's not going by the way of the grave. And when my dad looked like he was on his deathbed, and I was already coming to grips with maybe he's going to die. All of a sudden, he starts improving. Next Sunday, I'm going to return right back to our Ready or Not series about the second coming of Christ and about heaven. If you're not ready, you might want to get ready because for some reason, Jack McKinley's not dying. And that might mean that Jesus Christ is coming back very soon. He's never claimed to be a prophet. I'm not telling you he's a prophet. All I'm saying is he's not gone yet. And he says he's going in the rapture. And one of the greatest things my dad has always taught me, one of these well-worn paths of righteousness that he has led me down, was to eagerly await the coming of Christ. He has always looked forward to it. And that is a well-worn path that I'm so thankful that he has led me down because now I too eagerly await the second coming of Christ. At the end of my mother's day message I wanted to pray for women in the room for emotional balance because here's what I said as mom goes so goes the home if mom is frantic daddy and the kids are frantic if mom's joyful daddy and the kids are joyful as mom goes so goes the home and so I prayed for emotional balance for women in this room Today, I want to pray for, for men, specifically fathers in this room, that want to walk those well-worn paths of righteousness. With God before you, good woman beside you, and a great generation coming up behind you. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.